All right, I would invite you to bow with me once more as we enter God's word. Father, we thank you once more for your word. We thank you that it is living and active, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, and that through it, Lord, even this morning, you want to speak to us through it. And so I ask by the illumination of your Holy Spirit, open this word to our hearts and to our minds, that as we enter this new year, we might be encouraged by it, built up and strengthened through this word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, one of the greatest ambitions of any violinist is to play a Stradivarius. Now, a Stradivarius violin is meticulously handcrafted by Antonio Stradivari. And these very rare violins are known to be unrivaled in their sound and in their quality. They have sold for as high as $16 million in auction, and some are listed for even higher than that currently. So you can imagine the excitement of acclaimed British violinist by the name of Peter Cropper. And Peter Cropper, in 1981, was given a proposition by the London Royal Academy of Music, who offered to loan him their priceless 258-year-old Stradivarius to play for a special series of concerts. Well, of course, he said yes and jumped at their offer to play this priceless Stradivarius. But then on the night of the concert, in front of a sold-out audience, the unimaginable happened. As Peter entered the stage, he tripped and landed directly on top of the violin, snapping its neck off. Well, you can imagine, the audience gasped in horror. This is a true story, by the way. This really happened. They gasped in horror. As there, Peter Cropper stood, holding up with a stunned expression on his face, the two pieces of the violin. Now, you can imagine the sensation that went through the music community and indeed popular culture of that day as he was on the front page of newspapers for all the wrong reasons the next couple of days. We can well imagine that Peter was absolutely devastated and utterly inconsolable. What should have been the pinnacle of his already illustrious career had in just one fateful moment become a waking nightmare. However, Peter knew of a master craftsman, one who had a reputation of making violins so fine that they could rival the great Stradivarius himself. And so in the desperate hope that the master craftsman might be able to repair it, he brought the mangled violin to him. Well, the master craftsman instantly recognized the needed repairs would be very costly and take a great deal of time to accomplish. However, he set to it, and proceeding with meticulous care and precision over many weeks, repair it, he did. When he called Peter Cropper back in to inspect the finished work, it was so perfect that the break was completely undetectable, and even upon his close inspection, Peter could not find even the tiniest crack or imperfection anywhere. But now, even more importantly, would the Stradivarius still have the same rich quality of sound that made them so famous in the first place? And so, looking at this violin intently, Peter asked the master craftsman, It looks just like the old Stradivarius, 
but will it play like the old Stradivarius? No, the master craftsman replied solemnly. It will not play like the old Stradivarius. It will play like a new Stradivarius. And so with hands trembling with excitement, Cropper carefully picked up the violin and began to play. And almost immediately, he was utterly astonished, for the quality of rich and vibrant sound that filled the room was even better than the violin had sounded before that terrible fall. And so following these seemingly miraculous repairs, the London Royal Academy of Music was most gracious in allowing Cropper to continue using the Stradivarius. And so, night after night, as Peter drew his bow across those strings and the audience held on every note, he was reminded that what he once thought beyond repair had not only been fully restored, but in fact made new in the hands of a master craftsman. Now, in a very similar way, this story parallels God, the ultimate master craftsman, and his work in restoring this world and indeed each one of our lives. For, of course, we know the story. Our ancestors, Adam and Eve, also had a catastrophic fall in the Garden of Eden, which left them, this world, and all their descendants, us included, in a completely broken state. And they could not fix or repair this mistake themselves. They just couldn't do it. Their and our only hope is to take our broken world and indeed our broken lives and in faith and in hope place them in the hands of the master craftsman. Trusting God to do the miracle that no matter how many New Year's resolutions we might make, we simply cannot do. We cannot do the miraculous of repairing our lives any more than Saul could fix himself and his hate-filled heart. Only the master craftsman is capable of doing this. For even with our greatest efforts, the best we can do is add a couple of patches here or there. It would be like if Peter Cropper had decided that he would repair the Stradivarius himself with carpenter's glue and electrical tape. And perhaps, you know, some of you who have made repairs along these lines before, you know that maybe with, by hook or by crook and maybe a little bit of bubble gum in there, you could get the two pieces back together and maybe even make it sound like a violin again. But even if it would work on some level, only the master craftsman can make it play like new. And it's the same with us and God. Our call to worship this morning, 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so it's fitting that on today, this first Sunday of a new year, that we consider what it means to be a new creation in Christ. And as we think on this story, I want to ask you the question, do you desire the master craftsman of heaven to do a new work in your life in this coming year? Well, whether you said yes or no or you're just not sure, today on the authority of God's word, I can tell you with full confidence that whether you desire it or not, God desires to do something new in your life and in mine 
in this coming year. And so the only real question is this. Will we desire the same thing? Will we desire for ourselves what God desires for us? Will we agree with his desire for us and in obedience eagerly move ahead with his will? Or will we resist or perhaps just be content with where we are, content with the work that he's already made? Or perhaps we're not even content with the work he's already made. Perhaps we're stuck in that broken state, holding on to past failures, and perhaps believing that we'll be stuck in that old self with that old broken violin forever. Well, in that vein of thinking, the prophet Isaiah was given a word to ancient Israel in chapter 43, which we had read for us earlier. You could turn there with me if you like, and we'll look at the key passage there in verses 18 to 19. Speaking through the prophet, God said to Israel, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now, the context of this passage is incredibly important to understand the significance of these words. Because, you see, Israel was right in the middle of suffering the consequences of the nation's sins, the rebellion against their creator. Much like Peter Cropper, Israel, on the biggest stage possible, having been called by God to be his special people, a chosen nation that would be the blessing to all nations of the earth, Given this privilege to stand apart from all the other nations of the earth, Israel had essentially tripped and fallen flat. And not just once, they did it over and over again, shattering their covenant with God, turning to pagan idols and all sorts of wicked practices against God, against the covenant that they and their forefathers had made with God. And so, of course... God still desired to bless his special children, his special people, Israel. But as a loving father, he needed to discipline them in order for them to repent of their sin and return to him. And this meant being conquered and taken into captivity by the empire of Babylon. And so now, here they are in captivity in Babylon. Of course, discipline never seems pleasant to the one on the receiving end, right? Anyone here ever been on the receiving end of discipline? Anyone here ever enjoy it? Yeah, not particularly, right? Israel's not enjoying being on the receiving end of God's discipline. But here they are, and God wants to give some hope and encouragement to his children. He wanted them to know that even though they were being punished, they were not being forsaken. The fact was that God desired nothing more than to give Israel, his children, a fresh start and a new beginning in life. Of course, Israel was feeling discouraged, perhaps thinking that this time they had gone too far. This time they had sinned and rebelled to the point that God had rejected them altogether. He would no longer be their God and they would no longer be his special people. Of course, Israel collectively could still remember those past deliverances. Earlier in the passage, we see references to the Red Sea and their great deliverance from Egypt. They could remember all of that. How when trapped by the Red Sea with nowhere to go, 
God had miraculously made a way for them, parting the waters of the Red Sea. And they could remember that just as it seemed Pharaoh and his army was going to overtake them, they had not only crossed through, but then the waters had closed in on Pharaoh and his army, drowning them, destroying the great superpower in one moment of time. They could remember these former things, these former deliverances of their past, but they could not see a future. They could remember their past, but they could not see a future. They could not see a way forward. In their minds, everything had ended. Their nation had essentially ceased to exist. Here they are slaves in Babylon. And so here, all they can remember is the good old days, but they cannot see anything good ahead of them. And this is why God says to them, I am going to do something new. New. Something in the future will yet be good. And he begins infusing hope for a people who think they've reached the end. And maybe this is where some of us are at this morning. Perhaps you feel that your best years are behind you. Perhaps you can look back and see even where God did some good things, good things and good work in your life, but now when you look ahead to the future, you just can't see one. It feels like you're at a, a dead end. Perhaps you're in the mindset of, I'm just riding out the string. Or perhaps you feel that you've made so many mistakes and failed God so many times, falling flat, that now he doesn't want anything to do with you anymore. Well, whatever your mindset this morning, wherever you are at, the good news is this. Just like with Israel, God is saying to us, no matter what you think, no matter how bad it looks, I'm not finished with you yet. You know, it may look like a boring, barren wasteland right now. It may look like a broken Stradivarius. But I am going to make a way for you. So watch and see, because something new is coming. But now when we hear a message like that, and I can imagine if we put ourselves in the shoes of Israel hearing that that message through Isaiah... There's a little cynic that sometimes sits on my shoulder. I don't know if you have him. But sometimes when I hear these sorts of messages, that little cynic who sits on my shoulder whispers, yeah, maybe God could do it for that person over there. But I don't think he can do it for me. And then if he could, sometimes that question percolates, well, but how much can God really change me? Can I really be made new? Or will I just keep making those same old mistakes of the past over and over again. Well, the preacher, of course, who we know is Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and verses 9 to 10, he gives voice to exactly that kind of thinking, the cynic's voice, when he says this, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, there is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. Now, on one level, the human level, of course, we know that Solomon was absolutely correct. For all of our inventions and innovations, the basic motivations, the basic appetites, the basic weaknesses of human beings remains exactly the same from one generation to the next. 
Just go sift through your, your news channel right now or your news app or your newspaper and compare all the core issues of the human heart that plays into all of them and then compare them back to anything that happens in the pages of Scripture or anything we read in history and you'll find that they're all exactly the same. Nothing has really changed on this level, right? The, the depravity of the human heart, the lust for power, the lust of, of greed, the lust of our, our sexual and fleshly appetites, none of these things have changed. Everything is the same. We see the same thing in governance. We see, yes, there's new forms of government, but we see the same corruptions of power, the same, the same power plays in political dynamics. There's a, there's a saying when it comes to this, meet the new boss, same as the old boss right? New government comes into power and, and they immediately, what's the very first thing they do? <laughs> we're not like the old government, all right? We're not like them at all. See, we're going to do all these new things that are going to be better, but it really doesn't take all that long. And we see them not only doing the same things, but often worse things than the previous one. We see that in history over and over again. Kingdoms rise and they fall. Babies are born, they grow up, they get old, and they die. It's like the shampoo bottle says, if you ever bother reading the back. What does it say? Shampoo, rinse, and repeat. Right? So how many times are you supposed to do that? Has anyone finished off the bottle? Because there's no end to the loop once you get started, right? Wash, rinse, and repeat. Now when we look at history, there's nothing new under the sun. But we must remember that this is the human level that Solomon, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, is speaking of. Yes, his, his observation is correct. But we must remember, within the human cycle, we cannot change the loop. We cannot bring something new into this old, broken system. Only someone outside of the system can interject something new into the system. And that is, of course, God. God is outside of the loop. He's outside of the system. He's the creator of it all. And he, if he chooses to can inject something new. And that's what he says he's going to do for Israel. You see the brokenness of this cycle, but watch, I am going to do something new. I want you to see this. Apart from God, there is nothing new, nor can there ever be anything new. But with God, not only is the new possible, it is inevitable. Quite simply, God only makes and does new things. For as the master craftsman of heaven and of earth, even when he is repairing something old, God will not make it just like it was. He will make it better than what it was. He will make it new. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says of it, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in ways that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense at all. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace, for he intends 
to come and live within it himself. You see, we need to understand that God is far more interested in our future than he is in our past. Yes, our past sins need to be dealt with, confessed and repented of. But once we have done so and it's covered by the blood of the blood of the lamb, the blood of Christ, it is finished. And God won't be the one who keeps bringing it back up again. His word tells us as far as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He's done away with them. He's not going to be the one bringing them up again. And yes, there are often consequences of our past sin that still need to be dealt with in the present as we move forward. But that is where God is there to help us through those, just as he was with Israel, into a better future walking alongside him. His discipline of Israel was for their ultimate good and for a good future, a good plan, as he said through the prophet Jeremiah. He was going to prepare them for a new experience of his goodness, and it's the same way with us. Hebrews 12 verse 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see, though Israel was still suffering the consequences of those past sins, because of his mercy, God was saying to them, forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And God desired to do new things for Israel, and he still desires to do new things for you, for this church. And when we hear that, I hope that that excites you, because it excites God. God, some, God simply loves doing new things. And think about it. Are we any different? Isn't there anything that, that gets us excited like something new? Like even on, on a basic level, has anyone in the history of the automobile ever not been excited to show off their new vehicle? Has that ever happened? Have you ever had a friend come up to you and be like, hey, check out my new car, but be like, hey, check out my new car. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it doesn't happen. They're excited. They want to show you all of the features, right? They say, pop, hop in, you know, look at the console, look at the features. And of course, they go on and on and on because they're excited because it's new and maybe you get a little bored. But for them, it's exciting because it's new. We're naturally excited about having or doing new things. We even have new car scent. So for those of us like myself, who can experience having a new car, we can imagine what it's like when we close our eyes. We close our eyes and we smell that new car scent, and, ah, yeah, that's what it's like, right? We get excited about it. Even mothers say they get excited about new baby scent. Apparently that's a thing. Have you heard of it, right? Mothers, babies have that new baby scent, right? Leanne says, she's like, I love that smell, new baby. And I smell diaper? No, not diaper, new baby. Not referring to the diaper. But it just goes to show there's nothing even on a basic level that we're not excited about with newness. New life. It comes from our maker. God absolutely loves doing and making new things. And he wants us to see and appreciate them. Here's just a few examples of God doing new things. In Genesis chapter 1, 
God created a new universe and filled it with an abundant variety of new life. Why? Because he wanted to. He delighted in it. He enjoyed it. And he said at the end of it, it's all very good. He is a God of infinite creativity. I've shared with you before how my oldest son, Declan, is crazy about Lego. Now, if you've seen the first Lego movie, if you know the basic storyline of the Lego movie, I probably myself and younger have all seen it, myself and older probably have not seen the Lego movie. But within the, the movie is the story of a father and a son. And in the movie, the father wants everything built according to the instructions and left that way. But the son, he always wants to take everything apart and use his creativity to build something new and imaginative. And so finally, this dad gets so frustrated with his son that he's going to use the craggle, also known as crazy glue. And he's going to glue all of the Lego sets together so that they stay that way permanently. Now, though I haven't done it, I have thought about using crazy glue before. Not a bad idea if you want to keep things that way. And so I remember when a number of years ago I asked Declan why he felt so compelled to always disassemble and rebuild everything. I remember he replied, I just want to make something cooler, Dad. Well, that about sums it up, right? Something cooler. Now, I have to say he can build some of the coolest robots I've ever seen. I never even imagined building those, but he does. And I believe that creativity stems from we are made in the image of an infinitely creative God who loves making new things. For instance, God makes each day new. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, my friends, we're not only living in a new year, we are living in a new day. And because of their sheer frequency, 24 hours, we take most of those new days for granted. But consider this. We have never, nor will ever, live an old day. Never. We will never live an old day. You, nor I, nor anyone else in all of time and eternity will ever again live this day, January 5th, 2020. This is it. This is our one shot at January 5th, 2020. It's a new day. We're only going to live it once. We will never live it again. You see, God has intentionally designed life in such a way that each day is a new day. That's why Psalm 118, 24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You see, there's really no such thing as a ho-hum day. We may call them ho-hum days, but from God's perspective, each day is unique and special and new. Each one stands alone in history. And so while we can look back in our history books and study from and learn from and reminisce about all of the many days of the past, we cannot go back and relive them. And yes, we have all sorts of time machine books and stories and we imagine what it's like to go back and relive those days, but the fact is, we cannot. We cannot. Today and only today can be lived. And so as each day arrives with new opportunities, 
New opportunities to experience God's love and his presence. New experiences to grow in compassion and in faithfulness. And each day comes with new opportunities to share that good news of the gospel and God's love with others. So each day is a new day. Don't take them for granted. There is no such thing as a ho-hum day. And thirdly, God is making new creations by a new birth for a new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's a big word in that, in that verse that I want to highlight for you. It says, if. If anyone is in Christ. It's not a take it for granted thing. If. So I have to ask the question, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? You can do so through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Come to him, repent of your sins, say you're sorry, receive him as Lord and Savior. And you can remove that if to I am in Christ. You can know it with full assurance. And when we say, I am in Christ, we can also say, I am a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. I am made new in Christ. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 4 tells us exactly how that happens. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade becoming a new creation in christ comes through the new birth of the holy spirit jesus called it being born again and yes there are still times when that old creation with its old temptations and weaknesses rears its ugly head but when it does i want you to remember that though the shadow of that old man still lingers its power has already been killed on the cross of christ And so the sinful, broken self is no longer our current reality, nor is it our shining future. It is only a lingering shadow from the past. But remember, we are not traveling backwards. We are traveling forwards with Christ into new life. Romans 6 verse 4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And so as we head off into that new life in Christ, remember, the old self is going to try to drag us back. The enemy is at work. But we're not going backwards, my friends. We are going forwards into the new. And it's just a shadow of the past. We are living a new life as new creations in Christ. That is our current reality if you are in Christ Jesus. And my friends, if that doesn't fill your heart with joy, then nothing will. And so today, as we enter a new year, I want to encourage you, don't let discouragement or despair of the past keep you down. Instead, embrace and live out your new life as a new creation in Christ with joy. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. For even if this old world has you down, remember, God has also said that he is making a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. All things. 
us included. Hallelujah. Make no mistake about it, friends. God is still in the business of making old things like myself and making them new. And he's not done with this world yet. He's not done with this country yet. He's not done with this town yet. He's not done with this church yet. And thank the Lord, he's not done with me or you yet either. Young or old, it makes no difference. Even an old tree can bear new fruit. So may each of us have faith to believe that God has more in store for us. May we look to his gracious hand and the work all around us and in us in new ways in 2020 and in each new day. For the Lord has promised it, and he who promised is faithful. So forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, God is doing a new thing. Amen. Heavenly Father, we go to you in this moment as the God of the new. The God who can take old, broken things, tainted by sin, corrupted, and in your hands, the hands of the master craftsman of heaven, we can be made better than new. And we thank you that this new creation begins the moment we believe through simple repentance and faith, but it does not end there. It continues onward and upward into eternity when all things, including this old earth, will pass away and you will make all things new, us included. And we thank you for this living hope we thank you that it is our current reality and that we can live fully in this reality by the power of your Holy Spirit each new day that you give us, starting today. So may we live it out to the fullest. May we live out each day to the fullest. By your grace and for your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.